Amen. Turn to Psalm chapter 90, please. Psalm 90 isn't, we're not going to really do an exposition of, of Psalm 90. I just want to use that as a stepping stone or a launching pad for the answer of God's providence during wasted years. We're going to mostly be talking about the children of Israel in the wilderness, the 40 years of wandering there. But Psalm 90, it purports to be a song of Moses, the man of God. And as that be the case, let's just look at the first four verses, and then we'll skip down to verse 12. The psalm says, Lord, you have been our dwelling place in all generations. Before the mountains were brought forth, or ever you had formed the earth and the world, even from everlasting to everlasting, you are God. You turn men to destruction and say, Return, O children of men, for a thousand years in your sight are like yesterday when it's past, and like a watch in the night. Let me skip down to verse number 12. So teach us to number our days that we may gain a heart of wisdom. And may the Lord help us to do that today as we look into his word. You know, very few people come to the end of their life without regrets. I guess Frank Sinatra did because he sang, I did it my way, you know. But in all reality, very few people come to their lives without regrets. Some, some more than others, depending on your past and depending on your situation. But, uh, you know, nonetheless, you know, opportunities have passed us by. Time was spent in wrong pursuits. I remember the house next door to us, um, we were just talking about it yesterday, uh, came open and was for sale, and it was $325,000. I said, how in the world can a piece of junk like that be worth 325000 And it sold twice since then, and the last time it sold for uh, almost 600000 So, yeah, and that's just a matter of a, a few years so opportunities do pass us by. That would have been a nice house to buy and sell, right? But okay, didn't know. And who knew what was going to happen? And I doubt it's going to be $1.2 million in the next few years, but who knows? <laughs> yeah. Well, opportunities can pass us by, and time can be spent in wrong pursuits. And Christians often, you know, those that are saved in later years say, oh, if only I would have come to Christ sooner. I wouldn't have had all those wasted years. And on a human level, we can agree. We can understand why someone would think that way. But what about the sovereignty of God? We need to think about His purposes and His timing. It's well known that men in their 40s and 50s often have what's called a midlife crisis. A midlife crisis basically is realizing that the goals and dreams you had, a lot of them are never going to be fulfilled. They're not going to come to pass in the, the way that maybe we would have hoped. And you're not going to achieve all that you thought you would when you were young. And you start thinking about life in a different way. So I'm thinking about maybe life... Excuse me a minute. It's good, okay. You start thinking about your days running short, your goals not being fulfilled, your opportunities passing away. And it might seem like wasted years. But I want to tell you only it seems that way. Because the sovereignty of God rules over every situation. And the sovereignty of God rules over you today, where you happen to be. I mean, here you are, in Southern California. I know that you're in Southern California, because I'm in Southern California. Here you are at Sovereign Grace 
Reformed Baptist Church, not by accident. You live in this area, maybe, or maybe you've visited from out of this area. You have the wife or husband that you have or do not have, according to God's providence. You have the number of children you have or the fact you don't have any children, according to God's providence. It's all in the hand of an absolute sovereign God. And are we able to waste years? Well, the answer is, of course, we can waste years. But wasted years to us, but not to God. God isn't concerned about 40 years. Yeah, sure. Not concerned about 100 years. Not concerned about 1,000 years. But he will accomplish all of his purposes. This weather's been crazy, hasn't it? It's all rainy and cold, and then it gets hot. Okay. But I, I'm telling you something you already know, so <laughs> I'll stop there. But God will accomplish all of his purposes and all of his holy will. But we are capable of wasting hours and days and years. And if we do waste them, it's usually because of unbelief. The children of Israel wandered for 40 years in the wilderness because of unbelief. Because of unbelief, all of those that had come out of Egypt They've been delivered from slavery. They've been slaves just being treated horribly and working day and night with no real purpose for themselves. They were delivered out of Egypt. And because of unbelief, they couldn't enter the land that they'd been promised. They were truly wasted years for that generation, for that multitude. But God is patient. God is time. God is time for a new generation to come up. That's exactly what happened. He doesn't worry about days or months or years. God has all the time in the world. After all, God created time. Well, the unfaithful generation had to die out. Unbelief had to die out. The generation born, bred, and truly Egyptian had to die out. Egypt had to be removed. As I talk about Egypt today... I'm going to talk about it the way the Bible talks about it. Uh, Egypt symbolizes the world, the world system, the world's thinking. That's what Egypt symbolizes. So Egypt and the ways of the world needed to be removed from that multitude. And it doesn't have to be by death. Joshua and Caleb didn't die. They entered the promised land. And as Christians, of course, we're part of the world. But how often do we have... Egyptian-type thinking. Thinking like an Egyptian. Thinking the same way that the world thinks. Now, the first thing I'd like to say, my first point, is sometimes our years aren't wasted. It only seems that way. Moses, the author of Psalm 90, is a good example. It only seemed that way that for 40 years... He was in the backside of the desert. Forty years in Egypt. Forty years in the backside of the desert. No doubt he wanted to be doing something. But he was doing something, even though he didn't realize it. He was being prepared. Being prepared for one of the most miraculous lives that ever have been lived. It may have seemed like a waste at the time, but he was growing. He was maturing. He was getting ready for the ministry that God was going to give him to do. 
the Apostle Paul in our reading this morning. It, it struck me as um, our brother read that, that um, Paul could have considered years in Arabia wasted years. After all, he wanted to serve the Lord. He wanted to do what the Lord would have him to do. Instead, he goes to Arabia. Yeah. But not wasted years at all, being taught by God there. And the point I'm trying to make is God is in the business of preparation. Even the Lord Jesus Christ waited 30 years before beginning his public ministry. And that's kind of incredible. I, I became an uh, uh, elder when I was 27 years old. You know, that, that's pretty young. The Lord Jesus Christ waited till age 30 to begin his public ministry. Kids have to go to school. Of course they do. And have you ever thought about it? Those of you that are teachers, I used to be a teacher. Those of you that are teachers probably realize this if you really stop and think about it, that it's not easy to teach kids. It's not easy for them to grow. It's not easy for them to mature. Some of you homeschool, and you realize this to be true too. You have a curriculum. You have things that you want to teach them, things they need to know. Because school is not a waste. Children need to learn. And learning is long and sometimes hard. It's remarkable to me that you take a, a, a young baby. Some of you are, are going to be having a baby very soon. Some of you are freshly out of that. And now you've got little toddlers running around or, or maybe young precocious ones. It's amazing. And we're told by the scientists and such that children learn really so much you know, maybe more than any other time in their life they'll learn between the ages of one and four. And I think that's true. They learn to speak. They learn to talk. They learn to think. They learn to reason. You can carry on a conversation with them. You know, that's not an easy thing to do. Think of all that they learn before they ever even go to school. And then you go to school, and you have to learn. And it's what the Bible calls line upon line, precept upon precept, and we have to learn, and I think the older that we get, the more difficult it becomes to learn. But really, if you want to remain young in your heart and mind, be a lifelong learner. Don't ever forget about learning. Don't ever think that you know it all, because you don't. And this is the way God made us, to be learners. We live for a certain number of years. We have a certain amount of time for work. We have to learn about our work before we can do it. And then, if God is so gracious, we might retire, or maybe age and illness takes its toll on us and catches up with us. And it'd be easy to think all that knowledge, all that learning, is going to waste. It's going to waste. And skeptics will say, well, youth is wasted on the young. And the book of Ecclesiastes says much the same thing. The writer calls it vanity. But this is the way of God. Sometimes our years aren't wasted. It only seems that way. That's my point. Turn to Ezekiel, or Exodus, sorry. Turn to Exodus chapter 13. We're going to be mostly in the book of Exodus now for the rest of the time. A few other places we'll go to. But Exodus chapter 13, verses 17 and 18, I'm assuming that you understand about um, coming out of Egypt and all that that entailed, you know. So here they are. They're now freed. They're, sl they're no longer slaves. They're free, and they're marching. 
And 13, verse 17, we break into the context. Then it came to pass, when Pharaoh had let the people go, that God did not lead them by the way of the land of the Philistines, although that was near. For God said, lest perhaps the people change their minds when they see war and return to Egypt. So God led the people around by way of the wilderness of the Red Sea. And the children of Israel went up in orderly ranks out of the land of Egypt. If you were to take a a map, and some of you have Bible maps in the back of your Bible that you can look at later, okay? Or look it up in an atlas later or on the internet. There it is, you know. You'll see that the way they left Egypt was, uh, they didn't take a shortcut. They went the long way around. They were going out into the wilderness, out into nowhere land, and it looked like a big mistake. In fact, that's actually what God used to deceive the heart of Pharaoh in this whole matter, because it was God's ordained purpose that Pharaoh would chase after them and that God would mightily deliver them and show himself mighty and powerful throughout all the world for all time in the works that he did. Just look at verse four, or chapter 14, verse 3. When it comes out, they find out where the children of Israel are and that they appear to be wandering aimlessly. Pharaoh will say of the children of Israel, they're bewildered by the land in the wilderness and that's closed them in. So then I will harden Pharaoh's heart so that he will pursue them and I will gain honor over Pharaoh and over all of his army, that is the Egyptians, so they may know that I am the Lord. And they did so. So, you know, does God harden hearts? Well, here he does. And the heart of Pharaoh and his servants was turned against the people, just like it had been turned towards the people when they gave them all their, so many of their goods as they left Egypt. Why did God do this? The answer is right there from what God tells us. God always has a reason. He just doesn't always tell us what the reason is. God has a reason for why you are where you are today. God has a reason for the status of life that you are in today. Nothing, absolutely nothing happens by chance. And this time he tells us the reason of what he's doing. The Egyptians may know that I'm the Lord. And then to give courage to the nation of Israel that he will fight for them. And also to give fear to the Canaanites who hear about this mighty act of God. How these slaves actually were able to win this very mighty battle with one of the most powerful nations on earth. Not because they did anything except walk through the Red Sea which God closed upon Pharaoh and his army. Now, sometimes people have to learn the hard way. You know, maybe you know somebody like that, or or maybe you are somebody like that, you know. Israel didn't go the wrong way. They were right on the path that God would have them to go. And that ought to encourage us, Christian friend. God will use you. God has a purpose for you, Christian friend. God has a plan for you. You might even appear to be going in the wrong direction or just marking time and accomplishing nothing. 
I would encourage you, always go the way that God would have you to go. Always go the way God would have you to go. The will of God does not go in a straight line. The will of God doesn't fly as the crow flies. God is not concerned with our goals and timelines. He knows what's best. And he knows that maybe we're not ready for the battle yet. Which brings me to our second point. It's often easier to leave Egypt than to have Egypt leave us. It's often easier to leave Egypt than to have Egypt leave us. That was true of this generation. They were leaving to enter the promised land. And out of that entire company of male adults 20 years old and older, the only ones that survived to actually enter the promised land were Joshua and Caleb. The people had been slaves. They were not battle-hardened or trained for war. They were not naturally courageous. They did not have faith. Faith is what they needed. Now, we live in Egypt, a type of the world. We were born Egyptians. Many of us were raised Egyptians. And we still have to battle Egyptian thinking. We know in our hearts what it is to be an Egyptian. We work around Egyptians. We're often trained by Egyptians. The news media is run by Egyptians. And if we're not careful, we'll find ourselves thinking like Egyptians instead of thinking like Christians. It's a battle that we have to fight. It's a battle we have to train our minds for. We're men of flesh. And that's not wrong because God made us that way. But we can be too comfortable in this world. And that is a problem. That is a problem. The flesh likes to be pampered. The flesh likes to be taken care of. The flesh likes security. And some things that God calls us to do are distasteful to our flesh. You know, it's an amazing fact. All the men, 20 years and older, who had left Egypt, died. They've been slaves. Now they're free. But they found themselves still to be slaves. And you read the rest of the book of Exodus. Read especially the book of Numbers. Read the book of Deuteronomy. If you're reading through your Bible this year, you'll do that. And uh, you'll see that um, it was a lot easier to leave Egypt than to have Egypt leave them in their thinking. You know, we could say then that the oldest man amongst them could have theoretically been, you know, um, 60 years old. Now, it actually appears Caleb was even older than that. But uh, 60 years old, that, that's young. Some of you don't believe me, do you? <laughs> 60 years old, it is. It, it, it's, it's young, you know. And um, our culture honors youth, loves youth. Whereas the, the Hebrew culture, and I think it's a more biblical way of looking at it, honors age. But their oldest men were cut off from them. Their oldest men. Because you know what the Bible says? The Bible says the gray hair is wisdom if. Do you know the rest of it? The gray hair is wisdom if it be found in the way of righteousness. Uh, there are old fools. 
You know, and some, some people become more foolish the older they get. But the gray hair is wisdom if it be found in the way of righteousness. God needed to cut off their earthly wisdom. It was Egyptian wisdom. And a new generation needed to be raised up that was Israelite, that knew the Lord. And sometimes it's just harder to get Egypt out of us than it is for us to get out of Egypt. And the third point, the promises of God will never fail. The promises of God will never fail. You can take confidence in that. Men fail. Plans often come to naught. But the will of God never fails, and God's promises never fail. Now turn with me for a moment. Keep your finger here, but turn with me a moment to Joshua chapter 5. Joshua chapter 5. And remember I told you that um, God had three purposes uh, in the fact of, of destroying the armies of Egypt. It was a judgment on the Egyptians. It was a, to be an encouragement that God was with them to the Israelites. And it was to spread fear among the Canaanites. And it did spread fear among the Canaanites. Joshua chapter 5 verse 1. Going way into history now. Way into actually entering the promised land. And so it was when all the kings of the Amorites who were on the west side of the Jordan and all the kings of the Canaanites who were by the sea heard that the Lord had dried up the waters of the Jordan from before the children of Israel until we'd crossed over that their heart melted and there was no spirit in them any longer because of the children of Israel. Think about that. What God had done 40 years earlier was not unknown. It had made its news all the way to Canaan. They knew. said, wow, something's happened here. Look at this. A mighty God, because they didn't know God. So a mighty God has done this. And now we're all in trouble. They're heading this way. And they were heading that way. But the next thing you know, they're gone. They're heading another way. Into the wilderness, once again, where they would wander for 40 years. And the Canaanites might have said, what happened? I thought they were coming. I thought this mighty, mighty group that had destroyed Pharaoh and his army were coming for us. But they're not here. And they begin to live in complacency. They begin to continue in their sin. And their sin was great, my friend. I won't even enumerate the sins that they committed. But uh, so many of the sins in our day were the sins that they committed. And God destroyed them for that. God said, I will destroy them when the full measure of their sin has finally come. But what happened? Then all of a sudden, the news comes again. They're back. And they're crossing the Jordan. And God had closed the Jordan River for them as they come across. And their minds would immediately race to, oh, wow. We heard that this mighty God so long ago had done that to the Red Sea. And now they're crossing over again. And great fear struck their hearts. We, we read a little bit more here. Verse 2. At that time the Lord said to Joshua, Make flint knives for yourself and circumcise the sons of Israel again the second time. So Joshua made flint knives for himself and circumcised the sons of Israel at the hill of the foreskins. Now that wouldn't be very pleasant. <laughs> 
you know, you, you wouldn't really want to be a, a, a 38, 39-year-old guy getting circumcised. That, that's not going to be cool, you know. But that's what happened here. Why? And the reason is this, it says in verse 4, why Joshua circumcised them all. All the people who came out of Egypt who were males, all the men of war had died in the wilderness on the way after they had come out of Egypt. For all the people who came out had been circumcised, but all the people born in the wilderness on the way as they came out of Egypt had not been circumcised. For the children of Israel walked 40 years in the wilderness till the people who were men of war who came out of Egypt were consumed because they did not obey the voice of the Lord to whom the Lord swore that he would not show them the land which the Lord had sworn to their fathers that he would give us a land flowing with milk and honey. Then Joshua circumcised their sons, whom he raised up in their place, for they were uncircumcised, because they had not been circumcised on the way. So it was when they had finished circumcising all the people, that they stayed in their places in the camp until they were healed. Then the Lord said to Joshua, This day I have rolled away the reproach of Egypt from you, therefore the name of this place is called Gilgal to this day. And uh, the Hebrew form means rolled, rolled away the reproach, or rolled there. So that's what we're talking about here. So their parents had ignored the commands of God, and the children suffered the consequences. And it's still that way today, is it not? You can overcome any kind of a background that has come upon you. You know, maybe you can be raised in an, uh, an alcoholic home, for instance, just as one example. You can overcome that by God's grace. You can. But it's going to be difficult. There's things that are going to happen that are, that are going to be difficult for you to overcome. Well, these people, of course, suffered the consequences of what had happened and what their parents had done or refused to do or were too ignorant to do. But the reproach was rolled away. Uh, turn to Psalm 95 for a minute. I guess you'll have to take your finger out of Exodus, come taking it to too many other places. We'll be back there. <clears throat> psalm 95 is an interesting psalm because it's quoted in the New Testament, in the book of Hebrews. And, and it teaches us a lot. And the, the writer to the Hebrews who I believe was preaching a sermon himself, actually uses this as part of his text in Hebrews chapter 4. But uh, Psalm 95, uh, begin reading in, in verse number, let's see, Psalm 95, verse number 7. Okay. And I'm breaking into the middle of verse 7, where the Hebrew writer does. Today, if you'll hear his voice, do not harden your hearts as in the rebellion, as in the day of trial in the wilderness, when your fathers tested me. They tried me, though they saw my works. For 40 years I was grieved with that generation and said, it's a people who go astray in their hearts and they do not know my ways. So I swore in my wrath, they shall not enter my rest. Yeah. Rest, as it's given here, is peace and safety. The idea of peace and safety. And they wouldn't enter into that. Instead, they were wanderers, continuing to wander around. And the Hebrew writer 
warns his readers, don't be like that. And we say the same thing to ourselves today. Don't be like that. Don't be stubborn. Don't be hard-hearted. God will have his way, but he'll do his purpose in the way that he ordains to do it. You will not frustrate the purposes of God. But you can waste years. You can waste years. Well, how, you know, how do they know that uh, the land was going to be theirs? We go back to Joshua 5. Go back to How did they know that the land was to be theirs? Now, they heard about it, and they saw that their fathers didn't take it, and now it would be up to them to take it. How would they know that they could take it? Chapter 5, verse 10. Now the children of Israel encamped in Gilgal and kept the Passover on the 14th day of the month at twilight on the plains of Jericho. And they ate the produce of the land on the day after the Passover, unleavened bread and parched grain on the very same day. And then note verse 12. Then the manna ceased on the day after they had eaten the produce of the land. And the children of Israel no longer had manna, but they ate the food of the land of Canaan that year. You know how they knew that the land was to be theirs? It had to be theirs, or they are going to starve. God had been gracious in the wilderness. These guys had all grown up eating manna. And in some ways I can sympathize with them, um, although I kind of like to eat the same thing every day myself, but it's not manna, you know. But um, I can sympathize with them, kind of getting tired of it. Well, they grew up on it. That's what they were used to. They'd lived their whole life on it. And they enter the promised land, and it stops. Why? Because it was time for them to go about the business of earning their own bread. They couldn't be irresponsible. God was merciful in the wilderness to feed them. And that mercy extended to the sinning adults, and that mercy extended to their children that were growing and became adults, and their children too. But now it was time. They couldn't afford to be irresponsible. Did they trust God? Well, Pastor Ken's been going through the book of Judges. Let's turn there ourselves. Did this generation trust God? You know the answer, if you remember back a few months ago when Pastor Ken started his series. But I'll just remind you. Judges chapter 2. Did they trust God? The answer is yes, they did. They trusted God better than their fathers. Judges chapter 2, verse 7. So the people served the Lord all the days of Joshua and all the days of the elders who outlived Joshua, who had seen all the great works of the Lord, which he had done for Israel. And then you can skip down to verse number 10. When all that generation who had been gathered Sorry, when all that generation had been gathered to their fathers, another generation arose after them who did not know the Lord nor the work which he had done for Israel. They hadn't experienced it themselves. Verse 11, Then the children of Israel did evil in the sight of the Lord and served the Baals. Well, what do we learn from that? You know, well, the thing I would 
most gleaned from that is simply this, that everyone is responsible for themselves. I know if you're a Christian and you care about the things of God, one of your greatest heart prayers would be, those of you that are parents, that your children would follow along in those footsteps and know the Lord and love the Lord and maybe even do better than you. Wouldn't you be thrilled to have your children do better than you? That, that would warm your heart and you'd be so glad, you know. But it's important that we remember. And it's important, young ones here, that you remember that everyone is responsible for himself. Your parents' religion cannot save you. But I'm glad to tell you that your parents' lack of religion cannot damn you. The answer is, what will you do with Jesus, who's called the Christ? And the promises of God never fail. They had been promised, you will receive the land. Forty years well, of great sin and unbelief, and we see that great sin and unbelief followed them throughout the wilderness. You know, the sin that kept them from going in was unbelief. And they continued to disbelieve God in the face of his daily miracles. You know, we experience daily miracles too. We just don't think about them as miracles, you know. But if God had chosen to rain down manna for 40 years wandering in the wilderness, it'd be very easy for you to forget it's a miracle. He said, well, yeah, this manna falls on the ground. We gather it up. That's how we eat. That's how we survive. And it's so easy for us to forget the great provision that God's given to us, you know, air to breathe, water to drink, food to eat, all those sort of things, which is why we're really exhorted to constantly give thanks to the Lord for these things, for the provisions that we have. But it's easy to take them for granted and uh, not even think about them as being provisions for us. Well, they've been promised the land, They didn't go in it. A new generation would do that. Turn to Joshua 21. I guess I should never have told you to keep your finger in Exodus. I don't even think we're going to go back there. (laughs) Okay. We got to make some cuts on the fly here. Okay. Joshua chapter 21. Did they receive the land? There are many people waiting for Israel to finally receive their land. And one day, spiritually speaking, and we'll be talking about this in the book of Revelation as we go, one day uh, it will be received in the greatest way possible. But as far as an earthly covenant, as far as an earthly promise made to Abraham and his children... They received the land. They did. The Bible tells us that very plainly. Here in Joshua chapter 23. Oh, sorry, Joshua 21. Let's read that first. Joshua 21, verse 43. Now we're going to take our Bible literally here, okay? So the Lord gave to Israel all the land of which he had sworn to give to their fathers, and they took possession of it and dwelt in it. The Lord gave them rest all around, according to all that he had sworn to their fathers. 
and not a man of all their enemies stood against them. The Lord delivered all their enemies into their hand. Not a word failed of any good thing which the Lord had spoken to the house of Israel. All came to pass. Now, there were times of of good, times of bad, times in the book of Judges where they'd go into a form of captivity and it will continue with that saga of up and down, up and down, up and down as Pastor Ken continues in the book of Judges. But let me just take you to, to a passage. You don't need to turn there. 1 Kings chapter 8, verse 56. The words of Solomon. Solomon said, Blessed be the Lord who has given rest to his people Israel according to all that he promised. There's not failed one word of his good promise which he promised through his servant Moses. And that was true of the earthly covenant. David was a man of war, and David was a man that expanded the kingdom by war. The Bible calls him a bloody man. That's why he couldn't build the temple. It says, your son will be a man of peace. He'll build the temple. And he did. Of course, he also was the instrument of causing it to be divided by his sin. And here's the thing we need to remember in these earthly covenants. God fulfills his promises in spite of the people, but, um, you know, promises like that can be lost. But if they're lost, they're always lost for a greater purpose and a greater reason. And that's what's happened here, you know. We look, if, if we're looking back over to that nation, and politically, I support the nation of Israel. I do. Religiously, I don't support the nation of Israel because they don't believe in Jesus. They don't believe in the living God. There are Jews that do. Amen. Thank the Lord for that. But God's not waiting to bless that particular land. He's already done that. What he's looking to do is create a new heavens and a new earth in which dwelleth righteousness. And we all that are Christians and those that believed in the Old Testament will inherit that land forever. It'll never be taken away. That's the great promise we should have. I, I just hear so much on the television and in other places about we just need to, we need to be looking to Israel. And, and I don't believe that's true. I think they got what they were supposed to get, and now they've got something even better if they will turn to the Lord Jesus Christ and believe on him. That's the great coming of the Lord, which takes us all from every race and tribe. And we don't need to worry about who's a Jew or who is this or who is that, whatever race or whatever ethnicity we want to talk about. We don't have to worry about those things because in Christ, there's absolute equality of those that know him and love him. Joshua chapter 23. Just flip over a page there. Joshua 23. Verse number 14. This is the words of Joshua. Last words. Last words can be very important words. Here's his last words. Joshua 23, 14. Behold, this day I'm going the way of all the earth. And you know in all your hearts and in all your souls that not one good thing has failed of all the good things which the Lord your God spoke concerning you. All have come to pass for you. Not one word of them has failed. Therefore, it shall come to pass that as all the good things have come upon you, which the Lord your God promised you, 
so the Lord will bring upon you all the harmful things until he's destroyed you from this good land, which the Lord your God has given you, when you have transgressed the covenant of the Lord your God, which he commanded you, and have gone and served other gods and bowed down to them, and the anger of the Lord will burn against you, and you shall perish quickly from the good land which he's given you. Don't know how many times God has to say it, but, but there he says it again. Now we know as the future comes, Moses had prophesied this would happen. I won't turn us there. But we know that they went up and down in the book of Judges. Things were dark. Then God sought for himself a man after his own heart, David. And David raised the kingdom up to great heights. Solomon followed after him, great heights. And um, the nation was divided. Israel never had a good king, not at all. And Israel languished in idolatry and in their own self-worship as they created the calves and bowed to the calves and, and did not worship God in the way he commanded. Judah was a different story, sometimes good, sometimes bad, kind of following uh, the acts of the book of Judges, sometimes great prosperity, even revivals, other times Baal worship, like in the time uh, of Elijah. Well, you know, our salvation is by grace through faith. And how do we avoid wasted years? How do we keep from figuratively being cast from the good land? We can do what the Israelites in the wilderness never did. And we can do what the Israelites in the land sometimes did. And when they did, they were blessed. And when they didn't, they were chastened. We can seek to obey God. And when we don't, we must repent. We can seek to obey God. And when we don't, we must repent. True repentance. Turn to one more scripture. 2 Corinthians chapter 7. True repentance is what we're talking about. 2 Corinthians chapter 7. This comes in the middle of a context that I won't set for you. You can read it later. Most of you probably know. 2 Corinthians chapter 7. Begin reading verse number 8. Paul's writing to the Corinthians. Of course, the whole book of 1 Corinthians is a book of rebuke. At least 20 different issues that Paul addresses and rebukes them for and tries to set straight. Here... 2 Corinthians 7, verse 8. For even if I made you sorry with my letter, I do not regret it, though I did regret it. For I perceive that the same epistle made you sorry, though only for a while. Now I rejoice, not that you were made sorry, but that your sorrow led to repentance. For you were made sorry in a godly manner, that you might suffer loss from us in nothing. For godly sorrow produces repentance, leading to salvation. Not to be regretted, but the sorrow of the world produces death. For observe this very thing, that you sorrowed in a godly manner. What diligence it produced in you. What clearing of yourselves. What indignation. What fear. What vehement desire. What zeal. What vindication. In all these things you proved yourself to be clear in this manner. What we have here in verse number 11 is actually a picture of true repentance. What repentance looks like. 
It's diligent. It's a clearing of yourselves of the wrong by admitting that you're wrong. There's indignation against what you've done to yourself. There's fear. There's a vehement desire for things to be right. There's zeal and there's vindication. You can see all of that in verse number 11. And that's a picture of true repentance. And if you repent from your sin, do you think you'll seek to excuse and justify your sin? The answer, of course, is no. If we do justify our sin, if we do think we have a reasonable excuse for our sin, if we keep on trying to defend ourselves in our sin, it shows that we never really repented of our sin. Because repentance is turning away. Repentance also means agreeing with God about our sin. And God doesn't forgive without repentance. That's true. God doesn't forgive without repentance. Because, and here's the the blessedness from that horrible statement. He gives faith, and when he gives faith, he gives repentance. That's what God does. That's his work for us. So, I'll just close with this. How about you? Are you living in wasted years? It's not too late. You can seek God. You can do his will. You can listen to his voice. You can obey his word. And you'll find that your years were not wasted at all. Whether they be spent on the backside of the desert or be spent in Southern California. They won't be wasted years. They'll be years that the Lord will use. So look to the Lord Jesus Christ and be saved and he will save you. Let's look to the Lord in prayer. Father, you told us in the New Testament that these things happened to those in the old as examples to us, examples to follow and examples not to follow. And Lord, we would pray in this New Testament, New Covenant age, where we have so much more blessedness, where the physical aspects of Christianity are not so much to be honed and conquered as the aspects of the reality of the spiritual behind them. We thank you that we live in this age. We thank you for the full revelation of Jesus Christ. We thank you that even though it's true in the old, it becomes so obvious in the new that salvation is by grace through faith, and that not of ourselves, it's the gift of God, lest anyone should boast. We thank you for the miracle of salvation that you've wrought in so many hearts here today. And we pray that we as Christians could walk with clean hands and unstained feet and garments as we traverse the road to the promised land. And when our garments are stained, let's wash them and renew them in the precious blood of the Lord Jesus Christ, figuratively speaking, as we come to you in repentance. But Lord, there may be some here today that have never repented of their sins, and their years to this point have been wasted, and they really have been wasted. But Lord, if you save them, you will take even those wasted years and make them so they weren't wasted at all. We'll see that your providence brought salvation in your time to your glory 
and to your honor. So, Lord, wasted years lead straight to hell. But to the Christian, there's no such thing. Lord, help us to learn from them. And may Jesus Christ be glorified. In his name we pray. Amen.